It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Welcome back to Daily Thunder, Down Under with Ben Price, and it's uh, such a great privilege to uh, join you again in this series that I'm bringing to you called uh, Laugh in the Face of Adversity. Now, it does seem strange, doesn't it, to to laugh in the face of adversity or peril or danger or, or tribulation even, and we would typically laugh in a happy circumstance or laugh in a uh, joyful moment or a, a good time or relaxing time. That's That's easy. We can all do that, but to laugh in the face of adversity... Wow, that's that's crazy. I mean, it sounds like uh, like Puss in Boots. We saw that recently with um, my girls and Puss in Boots. I laugh in the face of danger, and it's quite heroic. It's uh, you know, I came out of the movies talking like Puss in Boots, and everywhere I went, they were speaking like this, you know. And it, it's so much fun. But but really, when you think about that courage of someone who can laugh in the face of adversity, there's two things going on. One is they're either crazy, maybe maybe a little bit, you know, more into the scale of uh, stupidity, right? That's how crazy it is because you just don't do that. Whereas the other thing is that maybe that, that person actually knows something greater that's going on or in our case, knows someone greater. And when we know that one who is greater, we actually can laugh. And so we do want to have that merry heart. We looked at that in the first episode to have a merry heart, not just to have happiness, that, that merry heart, you know, and, and you can't help but say merry like Robin Hood when you're full of being merry with your merry men, you have that merry heart. Ha ha ha. And laughter just sort of spills out when you're like that. That's, that's how Robin Hood, I'm pretty sure how he sounded. And so that that's going to flow out of just being happy. But but when we are in his presence, where there's fullness of joy, joy that's so extreme, it's off the chart. There's no measurement. It's the fullness. Nothing in this world compares to that fullness of joy. And we, as believers, have access to that. And all we need to do is be in his presence. And it makes me think, well, why don't we do it? Why do we spend so much time chasing joy in circumstances, in experiences. And I'm not saying that we don't do those things because they'll bring happiness. But we can have 24-7 access to being in the presence of the Lord and it's got nothing to do with our circumstances, but all to, it all depends on it, who it's in. And that's in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's just delightful when we're in his presence and we have that heart that is so merry. It's, it's, it's a joyful heart. And out of that, comes a response of laughter, of smiling, and even in the face of adversity. And so uh, I want to take that a little deeper in this episode. And uh, the one that I'm calling this is, Oh, It's Only You. That's my title. Oh, It's Only You. Which Now, that, there's an expression that maybe we've used. It's a phrase that you know could be expressing relief. Oh, it's only you. you you've heard a noise in the kitchen at nighttime. There's a little bit of worry as to what that is. And you see, oh, it's the cat. Oh, oh, it's only you. It's a relief. Or it could be disappointment. Someone knocks at the door and you're thinking it's going to be something great to realize, oh, oh, it's only you. <laughs> great. How, how, how welcome is that person going to feel? Or it could be maybe surprise. Oh, it's, it's only you. 
you know, you're thinking something else. Um, but I'm going to give some context to where I've used this expression or, or heard this expression. So when I was a teenager, I uh, remember reading Christian books that would um, inspire me that I, I was, you know, uh, I, I attribute a few things in my life to my uh, deep relationship with God that I had as a teenager because typically teenage years can be, you know, where you go astray and you start questioning the things of God. But I dug deeper into God and and, and one of the reasons is I had a friend who was older than me who uh, would basically mentor and disciple me and, um, you know, and, and he was into Keith Green as much as I was and it really... Uh, kept me on track. And I remember reading his book and I remember getting into the music and just loving the the meaning, the scriptural meaning behind the songs. And they were like sermons that spoke to my life at that stage. And probably I would say my, my mom and my sister had a great influence on me that really helped shape that uh, deep relationship with God during those years. But one of the other things was adversity. And no matter what adversity we go through, it's always going to look back and we see what we were going through at that time. We go, was it really adversity? Wow, that, that's that's a walk in the park, right? But at the time, it was adversity for where I was at and for the level that I could sort of cope with. And yet I grew out of that. And when we go through any kind of tough time, that is when we're going to, as I have talked about, press deeper into God, more into prayer. And that's uh, what I would attribute to. But one of the books that I read as a teenager, now I I say this with a, a slight hesitance. Now, I, as I mentioned, I've done a series previous to this last year called Evangelism Truths from Heroes of the Faith because uh, I'm an evangelist and I love to share the gospel and uh, I love to look back on some of our heroes and learn some of the secrets uh, that these guys had biblical truths that we can apply to our lives today and see, wow, these principles, they really work when we use them and they're foundational to the Christian before we really go out and use the gospel in the streets or wherever we go. And um, I always talk about how these guys are signposts that are pointing towards Jesus. And uh, if I want to use the terminology that uh, Eric Ludi would use, I'd say that they're all small H heroes pointing to the capital H hero being Jesus Christ. And they're unlikely heroes. When you think of the likes of Leonard Ravenhill and A.W. Tozer, these guys don't wear capes. Um, that'd be a little awkward, but <laughs> they are heroic in the sense that they, they have some uh, qualities about them. And they're just men. I know that. But they point us towards Jesus and a deeper relationship. So I remember um, getting into some of these heroes, even as a teenager. And, you know, I get so inspired by the, the likes of David Wilkerson and um, the likes of Keith Green. And uh, I remember somehow I came across a book by Smith Wigglesworth. Now, I say a disclaimer here because I see definitely he was a man of God. He definitely was a man of um, incredible prayer. And he, he had a boldness uh, that was unmatched. Like you, you just see, wow, where does he get this boldness from? And he would also be a man who would be uh, deep in the word of God. And, and there, there was something about this guy that he was advancing the kingdom of God that I saw. And uh, he had a healing ministry and uh, he saw incredible miracles. 
But uh, where I have some hesitancy is because some of the methods, I'd go, oh, I don't know if I'd do that. (laughs) And that's okay. I'm not here to dissect his ministry. I'm not here to talk about whether I agree with it or not. Uh, I see definitely, yes, a man of God who could, you know, certainly we could glean certain things from. And I'm only going to talk about a little story here uh, in this episode. But so he he grew up in England and... uh, he, the story goes, and I read this as a teenager, and it sort of stuck with me, because I was, I was rocked by this. I was, I was amazed by this. I thought this is an incredible little, little story. Hear, hear me out. So he spent approximately thirty-six hours in continuous preaching and praying in one meeting. Now, can you imagine that right there? I don't know if you look at the clock when sermons are being preached, and you know you think the preachers now coming up to an hour and I'm hungry and, you know, I may be wanting to watch something on TV or, you know, whatever. But you imagine 36 hours in continuous preaching in one meeting. Wow. Uh, that's that's a record right there. And because of this, he was physically exhausted and sent everyone home for a few hours. Okay. Yeah, we'll come back in three hours and we'll, you know, after some rest. So he went to bed and he fell asleep quickly, as you can imagine. So, Approximately 30 minutes after he'd fallen into a uh, very deep sleep, he was awakened by the sensation of someone shaking his bed. Now, that right there uh, spells adversity. Um, not literally, but it's it's something that's going to stir you up to a little bit of anxiety as to, <gasps> what's this? What's going on in, in your mind? And he opened his eyes and he saw, now it, it says here, because I, I got this off online, um, an evil spirit that had manifested itself. Now, when I, I remember reading this as, as a teenager where it said that Satan himself was at the foot of his bed. And I remember thinking, how did he know that was Satan? Like, how, how do you know the difference, whether it's a, whether it's a demon or, or the devil himself? And I'm just going to pause right there for a second because I don't know. Now, now again, I'm not here to dissect whether it really was or whether he was hallucinating or not. It could well be. It, it's not out of the realm of impossibility. It, it could have certainly happened, right? Because the enemy is after us. Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That was a promise that we looked at in the previous episode. So he's preaching. He's spending all this time with God. He's advancing God's kingdom. It's expected that the enemy's going to come right after him. And it's at the foot of his bed. Now, I don't know of anything more terrifying than that right there. The enemy himself, the the father of lies, the deceiver, the devil, Satan is on the foot of your bed. How are you doing in that situation? I don't even like to talk about this too much because, you know, sometimes when we talk about pain or difficulty, some people are like, oh, I I don't have a high pain threshold. Just stop talking, right? I can't hear this because it just sends up you know, uh, reminders of pain that you might have gone through. It's like, I can't bear it. I can't handle it. And so this is one of those where even the thought of this gives you this um, heebie-jeebies feeling. It's like, oh, I don't want to hear about that. And, you know, you can imagine your response. You'd be freaked out, wouldn't you? Uh, No doubt a natural response is to probably scream. And... uh, (laughs) I don't want to pick on my uh, my girls too much, but sometimes, you know, I have two girls. I've got one one son. Uh, sometimes you hear screams. If, if you've got girls, you'll hear screams coming out of the house. And you, you think, 
for a moment, for half a second, you think, you know, someone has been murdered. You, you think the worst. And I remember times where I've ran into my girls only to discover that there's a, a spider that is tiny. And I know I live in Australia where we do have some deadly spiders, but I, I'm talking tiny little spiders that you could squish with your fingers that you could just get really. And I get in there and go, is that all really? You're, you're, you're that scared. And I even remember, um, you know, and, and no disrespect to my sister, who I love my sister. I remember when she was uh, a teenager and we were growing up and uh, I heard that same scream and, and I ran in, what's going on? I realized there was a moth uh, right near her. And I'm like, really? A, a moth? And I just grabbed it, like no fear and just chucked it out. So, but he's got something way more terrifying, <laughs> way more than a moth or, or a little spider or even a snake. We're talking about the devil himself sitting on the edge of your bed and again whether you think oh that couldn't happen or not it doesn't matter it's the response because smith wigglesworth here it is he rolled over and immediately went back to sleep or before he went back to sleep he said these words oh it's only you in other words he he treated it like it's the cat because you imagine right the cat has this uh it's from the same family the cat family as, as a lion. If a lion is on the edge of your bed, you are going to freak out. But if you realize, no, it's just a little cat, you turn over and go, eh, it's only you, no big deal. And you'll go straight back to sleep because the cat can't do any damage, especially when you know, hey, I know where I stand. And that's what Smith realized. And so, I, again, I say two outcomes. He's either crazy and, and he would be stupid crazy. Be like, is this guy crazy? Is he is he nuts? Like, why would you go to sleep in a moment like that? Like as if nothing's happened. Or he knows something greater. In fact, he knows someone greater. I believe that he knew that God is so much greater. As 1 John 4 verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he, and that's with a capital H, uh, capital H, he who is in you is greater than small h, he who is in the world. And typically, I've always known that verse as greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, that translation. But it's it's saying the same thing, that we know God is so much greater. And as that happens to be, we realize, okay, therefore, why would I worry? You know, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Why would I be afraid when God is so much greater and I am in Jesus Christ? It's that perspective right there. When we realize what this is, you see, when when we actually see the earthly perspective, that we're going to see, okay, you've got the devil at the foot of your bed, let's just say, or a demonic manifestation of a demon, whatever it may be, in the natural, that is greater than you. And so in the natural, we would cower and we would turn to fear and anxiety and panic. You know that panic feeling, <gasps> there's something on the edge of my bed. And, and when you realize who it is, that thing there can not just terrify you, but it has the power to kill you. But when you realize the perspective that there is someone so much greater, we just go, oh, <laughs> it's only you. I remember when I was, I don't know, maybe five or six years of age and I'd go to sleep and, you know, you get kids who are afraid of the dark 
That That's a classic fear right there. But I remember we had a little bit of light that would shine so that there'd be shadows on the ground. And sometimes these shadows would terrify me. I remember looking down going, oh, I don't know what that is, and thinking the worst because they looked like they could be terrifying figures that could, I don't know what they could do to me, but it terrified me as a kid. But when you turn on the light, and it's almost like that spiritually when we know that he is the light in the darkness, right? When we turn the literal light on, you see, oh, <laughs> there's a relief because we we see it's just a soft toy. It, it'd be maybe Ernie and Bert, <laughs> who I had all the Sesame Street characters, you know, and here I am terrified, terrified thinking these are monsters. It could have been the cookie monster. Cookie monster. You know, it could have been, but he's not terrifying. Maybe the cookies. And so it's not that bad when you realize, huh, that's all it is. And that's really what the enemy is. He's someone who just is this shadow. But we know in him there is no shadow. We know he is the light. And so why would we fear when we realize something greater? If that shadow is there and there's nothing else, then maybe we've got a reason to fear. If if the enemy is there at the edge of your bed, literally, you probably have a reason to fear. But because you know greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Hey, why should we fear? Because in him, it's this perfect love and perfect love casts out fear. So if we have the love of Christ in us, that love that's not our love, it's a fruit of the spirit, love, it's the first mentioned fruit of the spirit. It's it's the greatest, really. That love that we have is that perfect love in Christ and perfect love removes all fear, casts out fear. Why would we fear? We too, when we, when we realize that he is greater and that his perfect love fills us, we would go, huh, that's only you. And so it's a strange reaction because I, I don't know. Sometimes even I've wondered, you know, how would I have responded to that? Because I think, you know, would I get into prayer? Would I say, oh, you need to pray. You need to pray. And we might respond in a manner of different ways. But his response, I love it. Oh, it's only you. And uh, this this really backs up what I shared in the first ep- episode where I said, you know, no matter how great the adversity is, it may be enormous adversity that we're facing. The greater the adversity, the joy is greater. Why? Because he is greater and in him there is joy. And therefore, we can, we can look at those situations with almost a smile. There's a confidence. You imagine when Smith Wigglesworth said, oh, it's only you. There's, there's almost a bit of a laugh in that. Not not like a crazy laugh. He's just like, you don't realize what you're dealing with here, but a, a confidence in, oh, really? It's only you. The same way I responded to a moth or a tiny little spider. Yeah, these things seem terrifying, but when you realize, you know, what it really is, you kind of go, ha, it's only you. And you can literally laugh in the face of adversity. So we are in Christ. And uh, when we we are in Christ, we have nothing to fear. And, and I love, uh, I, I would say in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of verses because of the adversity that we're going through, not just 
individually, but globally, what we're seeing happening all around the world, we're, we're having this shared experience of adversity. And, you know, depending on the country you're in, it might seem more in certain areas and then it eases and then it comes back and it's just this uh, craziness that's going on in the world that creates adversity and, and, and a reason to naturally panic. But there's been certain Bible verses that have, you know, been what I would say is part of my spiritual tool belt. And one of them that's been right in the front pocket of the spiritual tool belt has been the second psalm. So Psalm 2, and I'll, I'll read the first half of this. It's uh, maybe not even the first half, but the first four verses says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves together and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So this sounds a lot like uh, the world that we're in right now, that the kings of the earth or the rulers taking counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. We're in a very ungodly generation and uh, we're seeing a day and age where, like Isaiah said, woe to those who call evil good and evil good or good for evil, um, you know, back to front basically. And so... Uh, that's that's really what we're seeing. And yet here's the response in verse four. It says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. In, in other words, they'll he will mock them. And there's a laugh. So this is this is Christ that it's talking about. This is a messianic prophetic chapter, chapter two of the Psalms that's talking about uh, his anointed, which is Christ. Um, and so he is looking at all these worldly leaders and rulers and kings who, who want to conspire against the Lord. And he's laughing at them like, really, you think you are going to terrify us? Really? And he's laughing at them. And because we are in Jesus Christ, we too can have that same laugh. We too can look at these powers that are coming against the world and go, really? Oh, it's only you. Not a natural response. And I say this. Because I've, you know, I'm living in the same world as you guys, and hopefully. And so we're going to get even Christians who will give way to fear. Because as Christians, we, we are going to know certain things that maybe the world won't know because there are certain things that are part of prophecy or there are certain things that we hear about that are attacks on Christians and the world will go along with the world's agenda thinking, yeah, hopefully things will get better and hopefully everything. And as Christians, sometimes we go, oh, no, we know where this is going and we're going to have our freedom taken away and all this. And it can really uh, we can really get into a place of, yes, adversity, but it can really bring a, a lot of fear into our uh, personal lives. And yet, even so, even so, that might seem extreme. Hey. We are in Christ and we want to remind ourselves of, hey, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. We are in Christ Jesus. Why would we not do the same, right? To say it's only you. It's exactly the same as the adversity that the disciples faced when they woke Jesus who was asleep at the bottom of the boat. And I mean, talk about adversity, right? You've got disciples who are fishermen, majority of them are fishermen. And they're, they're used to going out onto this lake of Galilee, this, this sea that really it was, where it could probably produce 
some tempests that were pretty frantic uh, where, you know, the normal person would get on a boat and get a little seasick and think, wow, uh, I don't know about that. And the disciples probably, Peter would be like, ah, it's nothing. You know, it's no big deal. Because they're used to the rough seas. They're used to the storms. It's like when you go flying and you see people who fly for the first time, they they panic when the, the plane takes off and you see them holding their seats. And, uh, you know, I've traveled a lot, so I just sit there and go, ah, it's, it's only turbulence. It's no big deal. And you see the, the flight attendants, they're, they're not panicked. In fact, they're almost laughing, aren't they? Like, <laughs> they're, they're not... Uh, they're not afraid of this thing at all, of turbulence. Now, there's been some times where I've experienced major turbulence and I've got a little frightened, but I always look to see, you know, if, if the uh, the flight attendants are taking it all right, you know, we must be all right because they're used to it. Well, here's a situation where the disciples, they saw the adversity. In fact, they thought that they were going to die. They're like, Master, we're perishing. And did Jesus wake up going, oh, no, sorry, guys, I didn't mean to fall asleep. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. That'll never happen again. I was just really tired, guys. <laughs> no, there, there was not a, a a single bit of panic in him or worry because he's he's the Lord himself. And in him is perfect love that casts out all fear. And he knows that this is just a little storm, guys. Like you can almost imagine that he may have, yeah, you know, he's got that heart that's filled with joy, that merry heart that, can laugh in the face of danger and look at this storm that's out of control. Yes, it really is. Yes, it could kill them. Yes, in the natural, a lot of people would say, this is it. We're going, say goodbye, say your prayers. But Jesus almost has the attitude like, oh, <laughs> it's only you. I don't know if he smiled, smirked, or, or, or literally laughed and goes, guys, are you serious? This little storm? But we can only laugh like that in adversity when we realize greater is he, capital H, he, who is in us than he that is in the world. And we're going to encounter, yes, maybe not a devil at the end of your bed. I'm not saying it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I don't think we're going to be on the Lake of Galilee in a boat where we'll encounter a tempest like that. But we are certainly going to have adversity in our lives. There are sometimes people who can create a frenzy of adversity, a whirlwind of adversity. And I've I've seen people uh, and, and know of people in my life who that has come at me. And, and what the enemy loves to do is really attack not just the physical, but the, the mind. Um, and so it's going to be a spiritual battle. Um, and our mind has got to be secure knowing that uh, we have that same mind that's in Christ Jesus in us because we're in Christ and we have that mind that's secure, that's filled with peace and he's laughing at the storm. He's laughing at these leaders. Uh, we ought to laugh too because we are in Christ Jesus and we're in his presence. And so whatever storm you are literally facing or something that's a battle in your mind. It's like a storm. It's like a tempest. And you think, oh, no, I, I have no control of this. Uh, remind yourself of that verse there from 1 John um, 4, verse 4. It says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, I have this little story of uh, a young kid who... Let's, let's say he's six or seven years of old, 
age. You, you can pick which one. Now, this is not a true story. It's a hypothetical. It's not even based on anything. And so uh, there, there's a kid who's going to school every day and uh, he's at this school where there's a, an, another kid who's probably about 12 or 13. And he's almost like doubled the size and doubled the deepness of his voice. He's got that 13-year-old voice. You know, when, when you turn 13, I remember... You'd go from being 12, you know, you talk like this. You, you still sound like, you know, <laughs> having helium in a balloon and, and you go to be like 13. It sounds like Russell Crowe. Yeah, 13 years of age. And uh, <laughs> and every now and then, you know, you, your voice is still getting used to it. It would go back to being 12 and you'd, you know, you'd be talking like this and they'd say, how old are you? You'd say, well, I'm uh, 13. Oh, I mean 13. <clears throat> and uh, I remember having those moments when I was around that age. But, you, you know, there's a lot more hormones. You've got uh, a lot more muscles than when you were six or seven. And you're getting a little bit of uh, hair on your chin. So uh, talking about the guys here, but uh, you're, you're facing uh, this little kid and you're the bully, right? So the 13-year-old's bullying this little seven-year-old, let's just say. And it's unfair. It's, it's cowardly because it's the old uh, saying, pick on someone your own size. And it's, it's just not right. But that's what bullies do. They want that uh, power. They want to exercise their uh, muscular uh, ability to take it out on the weak. They prey on those who uh, are unable to defend themselves. And so this kid who's seven years old every day faces this bully before he crosses the uh, car park to go to his mom and take him home. And some days it's worse than others because some days the, the bully will, uh, you know, say something and it's, it's, it's verbal abuse and sometimes it's physical where he'll, he'll get a beating. And it's, it's worse because he's manipulating the kid in this scenario where he says, if you ever tell your mom or anyone or any of the teachers, I'll find out. Oh, no. Now, he's... he's kind of manipulating this kid because the kid has no idea. how How's he going to know? He says, oh, I'll know. And it puts fear into this young kid even more so. He, and as a result, he doesn't tell anybody. And so he can't tell his parents when they think, what's going on? Are you okay? Yeah, no, it's okay. And sometimes he gets um, you know, a cut on his face or he's got bruises and he says, oh, I fell off my bike. And he, he makes up excuses and he can't eat properly, can't concentrate in class. And his life's just miserable. He just hates being bullied every day and he can't get out of it. He's cornered in and he just can't take it anymore. And, and you feel sorry for this kid, even though this is a hypothetical, you know, you know, this goes on in real life. And I, I remember getting bullied sometimes when I was young and yeah, I'm, I'm like six foot three um, you wouldn't expect. If you saw me, you'd think, oh, I'm not going to get bullied. But um, and, and I do even remember, and I'd be lying if I said that I never bullied you know, young kids as well because I remember doing that. And thank God, by the grace of God, I'm, I'm changed and uh, I've even been able to rectify those situations in my life. And uh, so, yeah, thank God he changes us. But uh, I, I know it's a terrible thing that some kids do endure. So in this situation... Uh, sometimes it's verbal and sometimes it's physical. And on this particular day, it's just like he he can take it no more. He's at the end of it. He's just like, oh, I'm spent. He's almost thinking just if I see this kid again and he's going to bully me, just get it over with. I can't take it anymore. And he has to cross the, the playground to get to the car park first. And he sees the bully on this day. And this particular day, this, this bully is just extra charged. He's saying, you know, you're going to get it really bad today. He said, I'm just, yeah, he's, he's 
got the fist clenched and he's just fist going into the palm of his hand. Go, you're going to get it. And it's intimidating. And the kid's just like his head's down. He's feeling weak because of this uh, adversity, which is huge in his life. This is the, the world's worst situation that he's in. And the adversity is so strong, right? And so on this particular day, he's just thinking, just get it over and done with. He just, I can't handle this anymore. He's, he's pale because he's feeling sick and he doesn't know if he's going to get beaten up so badly. He just doesn't know anything. And so in the distance, as this is happening, he sees this shadowy figure coming towards him some 30 meters away. Now, okay, I'm in Australia. If you're in uh, America or Canada or somewhere else in your... Not using metric, that, that's, um, yeah, you'll, you'll have to Google it and check it out. I don't know how many yards that is, but it's a distance away. It's like half the length or almost of a, an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And so he sees and he thinks, who's that? And then suddenly realizes that it's his dad. And suddenly he sees his dad, who's not normally there to pick him up. But this particular day, dad's shown up to pick the kid up. And his dad's like, well, let's see, he's about six foot three. He's kind of athletic. He's way stronger and way taller than this bully. And because of that, this little kid, he suddenly gets this flush of confidence. His shoulders go back. His cheeks get some sort of rosy uh, flush in the in the cheeks. His his confidence level is up. His head is lifted, like like it says in the third psalm that he's the lifter of our head. And uh, all of a sudden, his shoulders go back, his chest puffs out, he gets this glint in his eye, and he even looks at the bully directly in the eye and points the finger. He has the audacity to point his finger at this particular bully and say, hey, I'm not afraid of you anymore. And his voice is probably a little quivery, <laughs> but the bully looks back almost as if to say, uh, <clears throat> excuse me? <laughs> oh, like, wow. And... and we talk about laughing in the face of adversity. There's also that evil laugh that's uh, cowardly. Uh, and he's almost got that, right? But there's almost a smirk within this young child that's seven. He's going, <laughs> I'm not afraid of you anymore. He's got full confidence now. And why is that? Did he suddenly gain muscles that were the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger and the huge? Did he suddenly eat spinach and become like Popeye? No, I can't imitate Popeye. I tried there. But uh, did he suddenly become huge and, and have this um, steroid moment? No. No, he's relying on the strength of his father. And that strength of the father is actually giving him strength because he realizes, my dad, my father is so much bigger than you. And he is right near. He is our help. He is our refuge. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. And he's right there. And because of that, he does not fear. Yes, this bully could knock him out in an instant. But this dad, who is actually not even going to wield his strength, just his presence being there, is going to cause this bully to actually flee because he's seeing a greater strength. And this is really a picture of us who, yes, our adversity is huge, but we have to realize the truth that, yes, our heavenly father, he's not just nearby some 30 meters. 
He is ever-present. He is right near. He is near to the brokenhearted. And he's not just close. He's in us. We're in him and he's in us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And, you know, a reminder too that his strength is perfect in our weakness. And we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. When we realize this truth, we can again laugh in the face of adversity, because we know it's not even our strength. Then we would worry, then we would cower. But when we have to understand this truth that it's his strength, hey, is there ever a time to fear? No, there isn't. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.